how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. This episode is brought to you by IronJohnGear.com. In between your creative pursuits, make sure to check out Iron John Gear for top apparel, footwear, fitness items, outdoor supplies, sports gear, and much more. Visit the website for top deals on things like lanterns, backpacks, tents, snow clothing, bomber hats, sunglasses, fishing gear, and more. Visit ironjohngear.com today and save money on your next adventure. In addition to Iron John Gear, make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. From creators Paul Russ, Leslie Orphan, and Judd Apatow comes the Netflix show Love, which explores the relationship between Mickey Dobbs, played by Jillian Jacobs, and Gus Krunkschick, played by Paul Rust, following them through the delicate period between meeting someone you like and making it work with them. Paul Rust's previous writing credits include Pee-wee's Big Holiday, Comedy Bang Bang, Arrested Development, Robin Big, and he's also been seen Super Fun Night, on shows like Parks and Rec, and also in the movie Inglorious Bastards. In this interview, Paul Russ talks about love, writing with Judd Apatow, and the freedom of Netflix. I uh, grew up in uh, this town, Lamars, Iowa, and uh, even though it's a, a great place to grow up and be raised as a kid, there, there wasn't a lot to do. It was fairly uh, boring and uh, you know, I think the way I sort of either escaped the boredom or found a way to keep myself occupied was uh, just really loved uh, movies and TV shows. And, you know, I I sort of, I guess, came of age or whatever right around the time that um, the sort of price to own a VHS uh, uh, world began. And so you know, the stuff, movies that I really enjoyed, you know, you're able to kind of like watch as many times as you want. So, you know, I probably watched stuff like, um, really like, like Robert Zemeckis movies a lot, like Roger Rabbit and Back to the Future. And then also really loved, uh, Tim Burton, like, uh, Beetlejuice and Peavy's Big Adventure and Edward Scissorhands. Those were the, the, movies that I was watching a lot and I think after watching stuff a bunch you just kind of get inspired to start writing on your own and yeah I remember like around third grade I just started 
writing short stories and then plays. And then when I went into college, uh, writing plays and sketches. And then when I moved out to LA doing, um, writing sketches and comedy, uh, in the sort of LA comedy scene, but a lot at, uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Mm -hmm. So was it always like a love of comedy or was there some other like drama involved as well? Yeah, you know, I, I'd say it's been primarily comedy, but um, I, I'd say I have more of a a love for film and TV writing above comedy writing. As much as a comedy fan I am, you know, I, I certainly I remember like when I saw uh, I was in college when um, after uh, Freaks and Geeks had been canceled, but uh, I was dating somebody who was like, hey, they're re-airing the show Freaks and Geeks on like the Fox Family Network, and I think you'd really like it. You should watch it. And so I would tape them on a video and watch them. And after I saw that all through college, I was basically just ripping off <laughs> Freaks and Geeks and, and writing sort of that serio-comic sort of, you know, real but funny or real but sad and then I did that all through college and got incredibly embarrassed about the stuff and vowed that I would never write something personal again. And so <laughs> the next, like, 12 years, all I did was write sort of weirdo, bizarre, uh, kind of absurdist comedy stuff. And then eventually I came back around to writing um, uh, the serial comic stuff, which, you know, with Judd, who I guess originally inspired me to write that and then scared me away from it, but then came back to it. But, you know, as far as, like, the comedy stuff goes, even, like, my favorite dramas or, or filmmakers, like, I really can't fully appreciate, like, a dramatic filmmaker unless when they're funny, they're actually funny. That is kind of a line I have, I've noticed as a comedy fan, that, like, I really like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson or Quentin Tarantino because when they're funny, they're actually funny. It's not like when other dramatic writers have comedy, I'm just like, well, that's not funny. Why are you even trying to make a joke here? <laughs> you know? So I guess that is where my comedy snobbery comes into play is, like, well, that's scene in Boogie Nights between when John C. Riley and Mark Wahlberg first meet. That's that's a funny of a scene that you'll have in any comedy too, you know. Right. So how did so now you're working with Judd, how did love originally come about? I think you're working is it you and your wife created the show? Yeah, my wife Leslie Arson and I we co created the show with Judd and that came about because we were working with Judd on different projects. I was writing um with Charlene Yee uh, for Judd called Cheese Pizza that never got made. Mm -hmm. And then I co-wrote uh, this Pee Wee Herman movie, Pee Wee's Big Holiday, with Paul Rubens that Judd produced. And so we were, I was working on that stuff with Judd, and Leslie was writing on Girls that Judd obviously produces. And my manager, I think being smart and savvy, was like, hey, if the two of you are working uh, for Judd, the two of you should try to cook up mm -hmm. something for him. And so we uh, wrote up an outline and uh, for a movie 
um, that was based on a couple that was similar to Gus and Mickey in Love. And Judd liked those characters a lot. He was like, I don't really necessarily see a movie here. But he was like, I've had this idea for a TV show for a long time where you would explore one couple's relationship from the moment they meet onward. And I think since he liked the characters we came up with so much for the couple, he was like, maybe we could marry these two ideas together. And, and so just started writing the, the pilot for Love based on that. Was, was Love the original title for the show? Uh, it never, I mean, it was the first title, I mean, up until then it was untitled. And when we finally gave the title, it was love. And that was the one my, uh, my wife came up with. She's a, she's a great, uh, in addition to being an awesome writer, she's a really good, uh, titleist. She's like given titles to a lot of different people, uh, who write and stuff. And I think, um, Amy Poehler's book, uh, yes, please. Uh, uh, Leslie came up with that title. Uh, so she's, she's awesome at titles in addition to being an awesome writer. So what's, um, what's the writing process like on this? You and your wife and Judd or however it works, do you guys actually sit in a room together? Do you kind of take it step by step? How does that all work? Yeah, well, um, you know, it, it, uh, I'd say, you know, it, it starts with the three of us and the, sort of what we want to do um, season by season. And we'll kind of have sort of a, a a large conversation about like, hey, what do we want to happen to the characters this season? Or what sort of episode ideas do we have? And it can be pretty general. I mean, a lot of times we're just talking sort of about like feelings and experiences and it's not really getting into like the plot beats. And then... Um, we'll meet up with our writing staff, which is really great. We have a, a great staff of writers and then we'll kind of start from there, breaking it down beat by beat, um, certain episodes. And then, you know, uh, Judd and Leslie and I will co-write various episodes and writers will write their own episodes, um, you know, and, and then it's sort of the same process as a lot of TV shows, just multiple drafts and doing a table read to find out what works and then revising from there. And, you know, I'd say the the revising and the retinkering and tweaking and stuff goes on from, you know, even when we're on set, we're still generating jokes and ideas and throwing lines to the actors and, ad, you know, letting them ad lib all the way until you know, when we're editing and still adding, you know, little ADR jokes and, mm-hmm. and whatnot uh, until the episode's complete. Mm-hmm. There's a big emphasis for the Los Angeles locations within within the episodes. How important is it to kind of show Los Angeles in almost a new light than we haven't really seen before? Yeah, you know, that was um, uh, a big thing Judd was pushing was sort of like, hey, let's just make a list of different areas in LA where it would be uh, cool to put a scene. And, uh, you know, I think if I had to guess, that probably came out of Judd having shot a lot of stuff in Los Angeles and just wanting to make sure he's, you know, challenging himself to 
puts puts you know scenes in new locations and i think also knowing that we were going to be shooting in los angeles we might as well embrace that and you know uh not try to turn it into a, a different city um but yeah like you know for example like we thought it would be cool to go on a date to the magic castle in season mm-hmm. one and and you know i've i've worked on other shows where it's been pitched uh to shoot a scene at the magic castle and it there it was very difficult uh i mean we weren't able to shoot there because they're sort of private and exclusive but um i think you know judd does help uh substantially in terms of getting people to open their doors and let us shoot at certain places so like the the magic castle was like a real get for us uh, getting then you know then it's it's the sort of thing that i don't know if you're working frontwards or working backwards or however it works but you go okay we got this location now what does that mean in terms of character and story and so it was like right. okay well we know we're shooting at the magic castle let's not just have this be like an interesting location what can it say about the characters and then it kind of you know when we explored it more it was like oh the magic castle has so many rules and we mm-hmm. thought that was funny that like this thing that's about magic is also <laughs> really like uh rule oriented right. and then that became like what was the thing we sort of explored in the episode between the two characters is Gus is like, this is something that brings me happiness. And Mickey's like, I don't know why they have a dress code here. And I don't know, like something that's supposed to be fun, like magic is like run like a dictatorship. (laughs) Right. Um, A lot of the projects that Judd's involved with seem to have, there's a lot of pop culture references. Um, How do you kind of see a story like this? You see it as like, uh, capturing a moment in time where you do talk about, you know, current comedians or current uh, films, things like that, or do you see other principles within the story that'll that'll make it like evergreen? You can watch it, you know, 50 years from now or further. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, before we started writing this, I if I wrote anything, I would shy away from ever having a character text or use the use words like twitter or instagram i just i hated it i i felt gross (laughs) writing stuff where two characters are talking about things like that it's just like it make my skin crawl and it that was something that i had to like get over because i'm like well we are writing something that takes place in contemporary los angeles and if people weren't talking about texting it would seem insane it would be like what planet is this <laughs> what alternate universe does this exist in where nobody texts each other right. um and you know you, you try to go about it in a way that feels real you know like we we did have the the conversation of oh do we do the thing where the texts come up on screen uh like right. out to card style or do you right. actually show it on the phone in somebody's hand and we made the choice to the latter because that felt less i mean i love it when house cards did it, did it or when sherlock does it uh the first time i saw those i was like oh my god that's so cool and i got so excited that you know just having watched so many movies and tv shows when you do see something different it's really exciting but like we were like it doesn't seem like our show 
were a little more um, old school, even though it's not like 20 years ago they made the choice to show close-ups of text on phones. But it was just like, right. let's, let's try to make it uh, feel a little more organic. Um, and, you know, same with sort of the pop culture references. You definitely, you know, I try to be mindful of like, oh, I don't want this thing to be a show where 10 years from now, um, you know, I don't know why this is the first example I think of because there's millions that I could pull from. But, like, I remember when I'd watch Lassie as a kid and they had the old style phones where you hold the, like, one piece to your ear and talk into the horn. Right. (laughs) I don't know. What are they – what machine is that? And uh, (laughs) it's throwing me out for a moment. And, you know, I'm conscious of, like, oh, I don't want – this show to be hobbled a decade from now because we're making a reference to a reality show that nobody's even heard of now. But again, it, it comes back to like the thing of like, well, it is in contemporary Los Angeles. It does involve people who work even on the periphery of the entertainment industry. So it would be stuff that they would really talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you don't want to rely on a, I try not to rely on it as a crutch for jokes because uh, then I think that's when it doesn't become as the, the timelessness quality is lost. But, right. um, you know, I uh, we had Daniel Stern uh, come on this season. He played Mickey's dad. And, you know, in addition to just us really loving Daniel Stern as an actor, it was sort of an acknowledgement that, he had been in, um, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, the movie Diner, mm-hmm. and Barry Levinson, Levinson seemed to be kind of the first person, in my mind, who really started scratching the surface of how people talk about pop culture, what does that say about the character, how they view it, how they talk about it, like how passionate they are about it. Mm-hmm. And I think you can sort of draw a line between that and then like, in Pulp Fiction, them talking about, you know, McDonald's or the pilot that Mia was acting in uh, that didn't get picked up and even to, you know, and then obviously from that point forward, post Pulp Fiction, any show that where two people are talking about pop pop culture stuff is obviously, you know, in debt to that. But um, yeah, sorry, this is a very long answer to what was a really good, simple question. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, it was. It's just, it's if we're gonna do it, we try to at least do it in the the classiest way possible. Whether we succeed or fail at that, I guess, is up to others. Mm-hmm. Another kind of big aspect to this show, and I assume I lived in LA for a while, so kind of LA in general, is all the self-examination. You know, Mickey's in AA. How important is that within these characters, and how much do you think about that when writing the characters? Yeah, you know, when we first started, it was important to me and to Leslie and to Judd and, you know, and, and all the other writers that we would, um, you know, I, I come from a, a, a background in, uh, improv, uh, mm-hmm. like at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. And the main thing they really teach you is sort of like letting, uh, characters, uh, the term they use, like, uh, be at the top of their intelligence. Mm-hmm. And like uh, 
for us, it was important that the characters on the show would have a level of self-awareness about who they are, um, have an intelligence. I mean, the idea of top of your intelligence is like, it's easy to get a joke by having a character be dumb, you know, you, mm-hmm. they get a toothbrush handed to them and they go, great. And then they stick it up their butt. <laughs> it's like, right. no, no, right. no. You brush your teeth with it. It's like, oh, <laughs> it's an easy joke. But then right. from that point forward, that character has to have the intelligence level. If somebody thinks a toothbrush should go up their butt. <laughs> like, um, you know, in terms of like uh, the self-examination stuff, that's more where that came from was just like, hey, these characters are smart enough to kind of at least be aware of, even if in moments that they're deluding themselves, you know, are looking at who they are and what they're doing and how they get in the way of themselves. It became a question earlier, how self-aware are they? Because going back to when Leslie and I pitched it as a movie, the two characters were two people who had been through therapy, had gone, you know, had experienced a lot and were now trying to start a healthy relationship, uh, a committed one. And Judd was like, yeah, that's going to be kind of boring if they, (laughs) if they're aware of like how they shouldn't do certain things and have the self-awareness and he's like, let's just dial back their self-awareness just a little bit. Otherwise we're not going to have much conflict. So, um, so yeah, I mean, in terms of how it relates to Los Angeles, I do go back and forth on it where I'm like, well, I like being around people who do who who do self-examinations because I think it does make somebody more aware of how they're treating others. You know, that all, all comes with the uh, undercurrent of, well, are they really into self-examination because they get to talk about their favorite subject, which is themselves, <laughs> which right. seems very L.A., but mm-hmm. – um, for me, I like it because it does allow characters to speak intelligently about their own lives and not be completely, like, unaware and having the writers sort of move them like chess pieces or whatever. Right. Okay. I've just got a couple more for you. Sure. Um, where did the idea for the fake theme songs come from? Oh, that came from, you know, we knew that we wanted Gus and his friends to be people who were big fans of movies and, you know, I have, you know, with friends have had like movie clubs or, you know, daily movie marathons, like on Halloween every year, my friend, uh, Neil Campbell, who's a really great writer and performer as well. He, uh, we, we do this thing when I said as well, I meant, he is also a great performer and issue writer. I wasn't saying he's as well as me, uh, <laughs> but he and I will uh, um, put together like Halloween movie days where we watch like seven horror movies. But the idea is that they're in increasing amounts of terror. So we start with like the Garfield Halloween special and then end with like Faces of Death. <laughs> and so we knew we wanted Gus to kind of like be in any horror massive and it would be boring just to watch a group of people watch something and also it gets into weird rights issues like what images can we use from what movies and then we were like well it was just purely how do we make it active 
So it was like, I guess if they're writing songs about the movies they watch, then at least it feels like they're actually doing something. So, um, and I, you know, I'm a, in a band and I like writing and playing music. So I guess it was a way to, to greedily get that in there as well. So that's how it came about. Cool. And you guys are already shooting season three now. Are there any details or possibly just, there's a lot of comedians on the show. Are there any future cameos we could expect to see? Yeah, um, I'm um, trying to think. So far, right now, we've only really cast the first episode, and there isn't any, um, you know, we, we'd love to have uh, David Spade come back. He was in season two. Um, and, you know, this uh, this isn't anybody I can tease as we have them, but, uh, you know, I'm a huge um fan of uh, Norm Macdonald, and mm-hmm. if we ever were able to get Norm Macdonald on the show, that would make me really happy. <laughs> uh, and I'm trying to think, you know, I it'd be cool to, um, since I co-wrote um, Paul Rubens, I, uh, I'm really good friends, and I think he's the best, and mm-hmm. it'd be cool to cast him in something. So, it, it you know, it's really fun in terms of, like, you're right, like, casting comedians and being a fan of comedy it it can kind of go you get to play in sort of two fields which is either the field of hey i go out and see you know these sort of um not necessarily underground comedy shows but like with comedians who not haven't necessarily been exposed a lot on tv shows and movies and Mm -hmm. if you can my part for them and cast them and get to like your show be a way to have people see, you know, uh, like my friend Mike Mitchell, who I think is so funny, and he plays Randy on the show. Like, I think Americans should know who Mike Mitchell is, so it's like fun casting him in something, or or Claudio Doherty, who we really loved, uh, like casting her on the show, to the other side of people who I've just admired, you know, growing up and thinking we're so funny, like David Spade, and getting to cast them, and again greedily just getting to like work with people who i admire and and we had a michael showalters directing the first two episodes and that's been really really great i you know i'm the my favorite comedy thing like the state and stella and so getting to have michael making our show with us is is really a big thrill right is it any different working with Netflix? Do you guys kind of do you write all these beforehand and then film them, or do you still kind of write film, you know, in, in that order? Yeah, uh, well, Netflix is really, really great. I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, your, I, I just enjoy getting to work with people who I like their taste, and, um, you know, so there's the the, the stuff that everybody who has a, you know, who works with Netflix says, which is true, which is like, they give you a lot of freedom and they give you a lot of support to, to do the thing you want to do. But, uh, and that's true. The thing I really, really like though, is just like, they're good people who I enjoy hanging out with at a party. (laughs) Like if if I'm talking to a Netflix executive, I'm like, Oh, I get to talk about the stuff that we like and just Mm -hmm. talk about it. We're not sort of having, gross industry conversation. So that's the thing I like the most. Um, in terms of writing a show, you know, like 
it is nice to, um, um, you know, it's the, it's the thing that feels, uh, something new that's kind of come out of the last like five or seven years, which is like the ability to tell big, large stories for one season, uh, which we do, you know, like we try to go like, Oh, somebody, we know people watch these in three or four episode chunks or even all 12 episodes at once. Right. So knowing that, how can we write it so that it's a satisfying six hour experience, but then how can we also write it so that it's, um, if you only watched one episode. Um, and so we definitely try to like make sure that an episode can be stand on its own as like a full story, but then the fun of piecing that together into like one larger 12 episode or 22 episode or whatever story is, is creatively is like the most exciting thing when we're in the writer's room and coming up with ideas. Is there anything else you'd like to share about the show we haven't already talked about? Huh. Um, let me think. No, I mean, I, I, you know, it's just, it's the, the joy of getting to like work with people like Judd and my wife, Leslie, but also the actors like Gillian and Claudia and, and our whole crew. It's, it's nice working on a show that's sort of about feelings and being vulnerable. The byproduct is everybody you work with ends up being a, a good person to work with because you're, you're working in the world of like feelings and emotions and, and, that's what I really kind of like is in our third season now, you know, getting to work on a set where everybody's kind to each other is actually really cool. Right. Uh, um, so I think that's uh, that's just like my favorite thing about going to work every day is getting to work with people who, because the, the stuff of the show is about interpersonal interactions and stuff, people bit more mindful of that and it doesn't feel as much like a um a corporate grind where you're just going on set and trying to make something and then you know and then the other thing is is like i do really like with netflix you know not to sound too much like a, a hippie johnny or whatever but i i do really like that uh we're not making something that's just kind of being squeezed in between commercials and having the freedom right. to to make a joke about we had a line. I don't think it got on the show, not because of the content of it. It just didn't fit in. But somebody once made a joke about, oh, uh, 10% of all McDonald's food has uh, fecal matter in it. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I, just, I like being able to work on a show where you can make jokes like that and not have right. to like worry like, oh, no. So he's going to tap you on the shoulder and be like, actually, McDonald's sponsored the show. And so <laughs> you can't do that, you know, or make a joke about Walmart or whatever. Um but yeah, I'd say that's it. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan.
You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.